Welcome aboard another great episode of Sing Second Sports. I am John Schofield, your host. Joining me is Ward Carroll, our co-host, class of 82, and special guest, Bill Wagner, uh, here with all of the scoop, all of the awesome analysis, and even some intel about Travis Pastrana's uh, jump over uh, Ego Alley in Annapolis. But this uh, podcast is not about that. This podcast is about Navy sports. So let's get right into it. Before we jump into Navy football, huge congratulations to um, Coach O.D. and uh, the rest of Navy soccer for going down to uh, Research Triangleville uh, in Raleigh and, and taking it to a very good NC State soccer team winning 2-1. Uh, you know, took a 2-1 lead into the half and then held on to it for the uh, second half. So that makes for Navy soccer two wins over ACC schools after their uh, victory over a very highly ranked uh, Virginia squad um, in an exhibition earlier in the season. So obviously soccer is doing very, very well. Um, and we'd be remiss if we didn't give uh, the soccer team their just desserts there. That's an incredible win in a very tough place to play against a very good team. Another team that had a pretty good weekend last weekend is the Navy Midshipman football team. So uh, Nelson Smith, 17 carries, 157 yards, two touchdowns. Dalen Morris, three for four for 30 yards, an INT, a very poorly thrown INT before getting hurt on kind of a, a really lame late hit. Uh, then Tiger Goslin came in and, and really and really led the team very, very well down the field. Uh, executing, scoring 27 points, and covering the three-and-a-half-point Chris Cervello-Jimmy the Greek spread and beating East Carolina 27-23. So without any further ado, I'm going to throw it to Ward really quick before we go to WAGS for some intel on Dalen's injury and, uh, and what we're looking like going through the week. But Ward, what were your hot takes and first impressions when the uh, final gun sounded? Well, as we were discussing with the pregame episode, some of my keys to the game were, is Navy settling in with this roster? And and we saw evidence of that, even in spite of the change of QB when Dalen got hurt. Uh, so I think Gosselin's had enough snaps this year now, you know, after the Air Force debacle, that his comfort level's up. It was evident in how he executed the offense. So uh, I'm thinking this looks more like traditional Niamatololo Navy football. And that uh, makes me optimistic for the way forward, because obviously we have a tough game coming up this weekend against Houston. So overall, I thought it was building on what we learned in a linear fashion. It wasn't, you know, either all good or all bad, this sort of schizophrenic thing we've seen to date. So I think we're, uh, we're on track. So Wags, um, I, I won't take all the stats from you, but Diego, as as Chris and I were talking about on the Instagram live immediately after the game ended, Diego played what I thought was a statement game um, on the defensive side of the ball. He was everywhere. He was ball hawking. He reminded me at one point like a very young Clay Matthews from uh, days of old with the Green Bay Packers with the with the blonde locks hanging out. He was just 
everywhere. And then everyone else on defense, it was just a really impressive day. Jackson Perkins with a really big fumble recovery, Michael McMorris with eight tackles, three solo, Kevin Brennan with another big day, um, two passes defended. So when you look at uh, Mason Garcia's final, final line, you know, 10 for 20 for 104 yards passing, 15 carries for 63 yards. Now, Rajai Harris just went off with 172 yards and a touchdown, but the midshipmen bent. They did not break. So what was your take from the defensive side of the ball, which I believe Wags you know, was, was really the prime mover in securing this victory? Well, I'll be honest with you, John. I have kind of mixed feelings coming out of this game because there was good and bad. And let's start with, uh, you mentioned Mason Garcia. He's a true freshman quarterback. He's highly regarded. Um, how East Carolina got a four-star quarterback, I'm not sure, but good on them. But he wasn't ready for prime time. He, you know, guys just new to college football. Holden Ehlers, their starting quarterback, who is very talented and a, a strong passer, uh, he missed the game due to reportedly a positive COVID test, and it came out after the game that it was probably a false positive. So they may have lost their starting quarterback for a mistake, but that was a huge difference in the game, I felt, because Garcia did not take advantage of some of the openings that were there. He was tentative at throwing the ball. He just didn't seem decisive in terms of pulling the trigger. Now he ran the ball pretty effectively. He's a big, strong kid, and he got out there and scrambled in for some yards. But the inability to hurt Navy in the passing game, I thought, was uh, a problem for East Carolina. But you're right. The defense did step up. And the bend but don't break is kind of goes back to the Paul Johnson, Buddy Green days. You know, Paul Johnson just said, hold them to field goals. I'll score touchdowns and we'll win because seven's better than three. And that's kind of what won that game for Navy. East Carolina had to settle for, I think it was four total field goals, three in the first half and then a fourth in the second half. And, you know, just do the math that those are touchdowns that they finished there. East Carolina wins going away. So, but that's where the defense stepped up. They're very good in the red zone. They don't let you punch it in. And Diego is without question the heart and soul of this team. Thank goodness he came back and we'll give you the injury update. Three of the four injured defenders return. Uh, Sia, Sia, we call him, Alafosia Sapia. And I butcher that name because I've never had a chance to really ask him how he pronounces it, but he's the starting nose guard. He started and he played pretty well. He was, I noticed him multiple times during the game, big 99. Um, so he was back. Fago was back. And so was the other inside linebacker, Tama Tuatelli. Uh, Evan Falkman, the safety, was not back. Um, I think Evan Falkman, well, I'm not going to get into what his nature of is, but it, we're, I'm not sure that he's going to be back for a while if he makes it back at all this season. Uh, that's one of the things I need to look into. Uh, However, Diego Fago was the heart and soul of this defense, and having him back was huge. Just the entire unit rallies around him. He's such a, a you know, I don't even know how to describe his play, but it's just the other defenders feed off his energy, his enthusiasm, and his pure playmaking ability. And every time I see Diego play, I, I get even more certain that this guy's headed to the NFL, John. I think he's that good. And, you know, he definitely made a difference for the Navy defense. 
And, you know, you can, you know, I'll throw it back to you before I talk a little bit about the Navy offense, but there's good and bad on that side of the ball as well, John. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I, so as we were tweeting during the game and, and Chris and I were talking, you know, that the mistakes were, were evident, you know, there, there were plenty of mistakes all game long, uh, some really, really crucial, the fumble by, uh, Carruthers, um, was, was pretty crucial. Um, luckily they only gave up a field goal from there, but you know, before we, before we break down, uh, where you were on offense, you know, Ward and maybe even Chris, if you want to join in, I was struck. I mean, for me, the game itself, other than other than knowing that, um, you know, that Diego is going to play in the NFL one day. You know, the other thing that really struck me were the two fourth down attempts. Um, the one or both of them they made. But in true Navy fashion, you know, fourth and a little more than a yard down on the goal line going for it at a really crucial time. And then fourth down toward the end of the game, which I could not even believe they went for. So how about the Kutzpah there, Ward? I mean, was it impressive? Is it like kind of riverboat run gambling um, on the Nehemiah side? Or is that just kind of the way that we've always remembered it? And now it's just become very, it's so commonplace that, um, yeah, you just, you just expect it. I thought they were really ballsy calls. Well, if it's riverboat Ron, you don't make the fourth down as we saw. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> True. no, I think this is more, I would, the analogy isn't anybody else, but coach Niamatololo. And, and when you have the confidence to have four downs in your wheelhouse, then that really does free you up for very aggressive play. And, um, I think we're seeing this builds on itself and it's exciting to watch. And it obviously meant made all the difference. And this is how he's, I, I've seen him sometimes in years past where he makes the call to go for it, you know, on our own 45 and stuff like that. And you're like, wow. And then we make it and it just changes the momentum completely. So in the risk reward matrix, uh, you know, he's got his own forward leaning uh, sort of way to go there, but, Traditionally, it's always worked out. So this was more of that. I think we're, what we're seeing is Coach Niamatololo football. And now the team is actually executing. So that all that builds on itself. And again, as I said at the outset, uh, I think that bodes well going forward. And going forward, it gets really no easier. So we, uh, we talked a little bit about it at the beginning. Um, and Bill, again, I, I'm going to sound like I'm just a shill and, and you know, in Bill's pocket, which I kind of am. but. Um, yeah, another great article in the Capitol today about the next two games really being significant um, for the future of this program, for the success of this season. So the University of Houston uh, this is the next opponent. They came off of a really, really tough loss to a BYU team that, that we all know and remember well. Um, Houston was the victim of just an utter Heisman-like performance by Zach Wilson. And when I see Zach Wilson's numbers now and the games they've played since they played us, I feel a little bit better about getting trounced. I mean, Zach Wilson against Houston threw for 400 yards, four TVs, and was really, really good. Um, and then after Houston, you've got an SMU team that's 5-0 and and came back and beat Tulane down in Tulane. So these next two games against Texas teams are really huge. So Wags, you know, for you, you know, the, the inconsistencies on offense, 
Um, you know, the, the problems that we saw there on, on defense here and there, the bend that, but don't break yet you know, to, to give the listeners a little bit of uh, indication of what your article said, how do you see us? What do we need to do against Houston and SMU to not get blown out? Well, here's what concerns me, John. Uh, Navy has won three American athletic conference contests and they've been outgained yardage wise in all three. Um, and Kenny Amatololo said on his Monday presser, when, when that statistic was thrown out, he said, hey, there's only one statistic ma- that matters, and that's the final score, which is true. But I posit that if you continue to follow a formula in which you are outgained by your opponent, you're not going to win more games than you lose. So that's got to change. And the Navy offense needs to be more consistent. Um, right? Let's just real quick summarize the East Carolina game. It was very much like the Temple game in that the fullbacks did all the damage. That Navy, I do give Kenny Amatololo and Ivan Jasper credit. They find something to hang their hat on. They figure out what does this team do well, and let's really work that and ride that. And at this point, it's the fullback dive. They have found that Nelson Smith and Jamal Carruthers are two of their best players. Got to give credit to Nelson Smith, who's really stepped up. He is playing incredibly well. He's performing at a high level. He looks like a veteran fullback who knows exactly what he's doing. His vision is amazing. He's seeing where there's the holes are, and he's hitting them with authority. He's running physical. So Nelson Smith has emerged as the man for Navy football. But, you know, if you – think you're going to spend the entire year running the fullback up the middle between the tackles that you're not because teams are going to just stack the box and and not let that happen so I'm concerned and Chris Savello can weigh in on this because he knows better than anyone you've got to get the perimeter going and we can talk about this with Mike James when we have him on later Mike James is great at breaking down the film and he and I have discussed this but There's some issues with the perimeter game. Number one, Dalen is a little slow getting out there. It's all about timing. And Ward kind of mentioned this back a few games ago after Air Force. He said, you know, the holes are only open for a finite amount of time. And for the option to work, it has to be run at a very specific pace. And Dalen is slow taking the ball to the perimeter. And then when he gets out there, he's indecisive. He needs to turn up field and force the defender, usually a defensive back, almost always a safety or corner, he needs to force that defender to commit to either the quarterback or the pitch man. And that's not happening. He's kind of running out there laterally and allowing the defender to string out the play, and then there's nothing. The the quarterback either gets tackled or he pitches to a a pitch, the slot back who's covered. So – When Tiger Goslin came into the game in the second half against East Carolina, he ran the perimeter pitch much more effectively, and they had a couple nice pitches to the slot back that worked, and uh, Tiger had a nice gain as well. You have to have that element in your bag, and I do think moving forward the fullbacks will continue to be the best weapon, but you've got to have the slot back pitch and the quarterback keeper working in order for the fullbacks to do their damage. Um, real quickly, as far as Houston and, and SMU, and by the way, SMU just got ranked, I think they're 15th now in the latest AP poll. 
uh, Navy's going to have to put up more points. Uh, their current uh, situation of giving up more yards than they gain is not going to work against explosive teams like SMU and Houston. They'll score a bunch of points and run away and hide. So the defense needs to tighten up. And I think the offensive's got to be a capable of scoring more in the range of 35 points and putting up more like 400 total yards to keep pace with the likes of Houston and SMU. Sorry for the long-winded answer. No, it's it's amazing analysis, Chris. Um, you know, Wags Wags kind of called you out on it, and I know that you you and I talked a little bit about it during the game. What's what's your take on that? You know, we we have talked consistently about the slapbacks and the edges being kind of absent this year. Um, you know, how, how do you think we write this wrong? Right now, uh, the the opposing defenses are giving Navy a lot more credit um, than they probably deserve uh, on the outside um, because they're not, um, they're, they're not stacking the box as Wags mentioned. So, I, I mean, if I'm a, an opposing defense, I would force Navy to beat me uh, on the outside. And right now I just don't know that they could do that. Now, the only thing that I think is helping Navy in that regard has been our ability to throw the ball. Um, so they're, it's forcing those backs to, if they don't respect the, uh, the perimeter, it's forcing them to stay in the middle for that, you know, five to seven yard, uh, you know, drag route across the middle. Um, so, I mean, that we've got that going. Depending on who the quarterback is Saturday, I think you could see the de- uh, a Houston defense sell out and play a lot more and force a small quarterback uh, to try to get outside uh, and, uh, and beat us in a way – or and beat them, excuse me, in a way that they have yet to, uh, to execute. So before I get Ward's perspective there, Wags, on the, on the injury front, I know what this answer usually is, but have you heard anything through your sources about what Dalen's injury exactly was Saturday and whether we will see him against Houston? Kenny Amatololo on his Monday presser said that Dalen was fine on Saturday. He didn't go as far as to say he could have gone back into the game, but he said he he was sharp, he was clear-eyed, etc. Um, he said he's in concussion protocol because he took that hit to the head uh, as he was scrambling. Um, but he, Kenny Amatololo seemed to think that he was in pretty good shape even on Saturday. But I think Chris is exactly right. And Nehemiah even mentioned last week that Dalen's ability to throw downfield has forced the safeties to stay back a little bit. And it's kind of a, a, to me, and this is just my opinion, it's kind of a double-edged sword. I think Tiger Goslin runs the perimeter element of the option way better than Dalen, but Tiger is nowhere near the passer that Dalen is. So it's like, if you have Dalen in the game, he brings that passing threat that keeps the safeties back. But I don't think he's very good at running the perimeter element of the option. But then you put Tiger in, he gives you the perimeter element of the option, but he's not that good of a thrower. So I'm not quite sure where that leaves us, John. Well, so Ward, um, maybe the answer is, uh, you know, you've got some really athletic and tall wide receivers who are are, are sort of – keeping the defense uh, or the opposing defenses uh, honest. And, and these are like SEC wide receiver sizes right now. Mark Walker, number 80, is 6'2", 203. He's just a sophomore. Now, Ryan Mitchell is 6'3", 200. He's a senior. He won't be here after this year. But 
And after that, your your wide receiver core is is not only young, but they are tall. Like wide receivers like Hutchinson and Matthews are both six four. Um, you know, Buckner, six three. You know, young wide receivers coming up who are really big. And if you have a quarterback who can every once in a while keep the defense is honest by throwing to some of these big targets. Do we kind of use that as a model going forward and and try to get quarterbacks who 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 take advantage of the size of these wide receivers, Ward? Well, absolutely. And this is the lesson of Will Worth. Will Worth brought that element to the offense uh, that was different than, than uh, what was there before, you know. And and so. Um, I think the answer is yes. And we've seen if we can do a hybrid credibly, uh, then that freaks out opposing defenses in, in ways that are very desirable. So I think the answer to your, your question is uh, for sure. Um, but that's, you know, theory and practice are miles apart uh, so far. Uh, so, um, you know, here's hoping. Definitely. Um I, I think the future looks very, very bright. Um, you know, if you can get Michael Cooper, who's got another year of, uh, of eligibility um, after this year, who's 6'5", Tyshawn Buckner is 6'3", um, you know, Nays, a sophomore at 6'3", uh, Chase Parrish, you know, is a senior. Um, he's like the midget of the, of the group at 5'9", but um, you know, I, I, so many of them are, are, are so big and have a lot of, uh, a lot more time in the system. So, uh, so we'll see what yeah. happens there. Here's my only question and not, not to belabor this. Cause I, I think you do bring up a good point. I think it really depends on who the quarterback they commit to, um, will, will be, um, a quarterback that's, you know, five, six, five, seven, boy, that's hard to see over that line, even to find a guy that, you know, is six, four, that's running across the middle. Um, so I think all of that will play into, you, you know, what is the plan for the remainder of this year and what is the plan uh, moving forward? It's why I'm intrigued by uh, the number three quarterback. And, you know, I'm terrible with names, but, you know, the kid that came in um, at the end of the Air Force game, he did throw a pick in the end zone, but he did move the ball pretty well. Yeah. I, I mean, Maynard is an interesting uh he, he's an interesting choice. If you decide to make the third part of the option less about the perimeter and more about the, you know, five to seven yard pass. Wags, any, uh, any last comments on this before we start looking toward these two games against Texas schools on the horizon? Well, you know, it's interesting as I was listening to you guys, it's, it dawned on me. I mean, back in the beginning days of the triple option, they had Ben Fay and Chris McCoy together, and they actually exactly. they formed quite a nice tandem. Wouldn't you agree, Chris? I mean, Fay was the thrower, and and Fay ran the option just well enough to keep teams honest. But truthfully, he was brought in to throw the ball, and then McCoy was the pure runner, and he was a danger with the ball in his hands. You know, he, you know, you you like having a quarterback that if he keeps it, he can do some real damage, and. I just I'm starting to think in my own head here that maybe the two-headed monster of Dalen and Tiger could be where where we go with this. You know, you have Dalen in there and teams have to respect the pass and he is an effective thrower. His numbers show it. He's been accurate and other than that really bad interception against East Carolina, he's he tends to hit his receivers, but 
work Tiger in once in a while because he brings that other element. He's just a little bit quicker to the edge and is a little better with the, the quarterback keep slot back pitch element. So I don't know. I mean, do you guys think a two-headed monster quarterback situation could work? I, I think it's tough. I think it, it's tough. I think history would show it, 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 that the example you, you use is the exception rather than the rule. Um, so I think we're better served going forward by finding the, the two-in-one piece. Um, the other thing we've seen this year in terms of when we've lost, and Wags, you pointed this out uh, as you were live tweeting the game, the dives are working lately. And so if the dives are working, then, then we're not as exposed in our ability to get to the edges that we flagged as, a, as something that Dalen hasn't been doing to the degree he should be so far. Um, so absent that, and this is, you know, to sort of segue into the Houston game, um, if, if we're either, if our offensive line is getting blown off the line of scrimmage or they're shutting down the holes and the dives are not doing four to five yards per carry, then we are exposed. And that's where we get these disproportionate blowouts. Um, what we've done in, in the close ones, the one we've squeaked out, um, are we've been able to uh, have the dives happening and they either they go for big gainers or but at least enough to keep you on the field. And then that allows us to open up the edges a little more and, and we're more successful on that. Um, and then maybe occasionally throw, you know, attempt to do a, a pass play. So um, I, I, again, this all is to say that either we're committed to the uh, more diminutive quarterback who's fast and can read the defense in the triple option. So this is uh, the, the models there are obviously uh, Malcolm Perry um, or Keenan Reynolds. Yeah. I can't believe I forgot that it's early onset Alzheimer's. Um, so that kind of quarterback or a bigger guy like a Wilworth, who was a, a really serendipitous surprise with respect to his ability to run the triple option, but also a cannon for an arm. And I watched at close range him throw some frozen rope passes that were a beautiful thing. So we haven't had that really since. Um, occasionally we will see glimpses as, as again, Wags flagged the beginning of the Dale and Morris era, right? That's what we said after the Tulane win. Um, and he did see, he looked very comfortable in the pocket and he threw some great passes. Um, so if we can deliver consistently on that sort of performance, now that will keep opposing defenses uh, off their uh, rock back on their heels a little more. And it'll also will depressurize the offensive line to some degree. Um, so we'll see. I just want to real quick weigh in on the, on the two quarterback thing. I mean, I, I agree with, uh, with Ward, um, you know, the year that they, the 95 season that, um, that Chris and Ben uh, took turns and, and, you know, they would bring Ben in for the two minute offense if they needed to move the ball. Um, it was, I would say, you know, moderately successful. And then ultimately we settled in with Chris because I mean, he just ran the offense so much better um, as, uh, as the quick threat to the outside. And, I mean, his first two to three steps were just so quick. It was hard for the defense to, uh, to track on him. Um, but I mean, you know, anything they can do to win, uh, I'm in, uh, I'm in favor for, I would love just one, one additional point. I would love to see them if, if Darren can't, or excuse me, if Dalen can't 
you, you know, is not comfortable getting to the outside or pitching the ball, that quick pitch to the slot back is there. So if you, again, if you have the threat to throw, if you have the threat to use the halfback, and then you use the quick pitch as a way of, uh, of getting to the outside, I, I think there's success there. Um, but it is nice knowing uh, in such a physical offense that you do have a second and third option, uh, as we saw this week, should something happen to the quarterback. Yeah, when you say two quarterbacks, um, I know the NFL is a different bird, but I just think of, I think there's only been one successful NFL team that used deliberately a two quarterback structure. And that was the Pittsburgh Steelers circa, what was that? 78, 79, uh, you know, post Bradshaw, they had those two quarterbacks uh, and they weren't committed to either one and they'd, they'd mix and match and it worked that year. Um, but beyond that, it's never worked. Yeah, I think if if there is a place that ever it could work, you know, where it's team first above individual um, accomplishments, and I know every team from Alabama to Maryland to Navy is all going to say team first, but I think if it could ever work anywhere, um, Navy is where it can work, um, where you you have athletic runners and then you have guys who can throw the ball. Um, I will be a, a, a shameless um uh, podcast host here and say, you know, we can't leave out the name Ty Lovatai um, as one of the quarterback options, 6'2 freshman from St. John's, Florida. That's mo- mo- mostly for our biggest fan out there, Gina Lovatai, Ty's mother, who literally likes every single thing we do on Twitter. And we are, we are nothing if not <laughs> adherent to uh, people who stroke our fragile ego. Is that right, Chris? She is fantastic. So thank you for mentioning. And because she is our biggest fan, uh, she's a huge, huge supporter of both the podcast and Navy athletics. Yeah. Gina's great. In all seriousness, Ty's a player. He's got, I know the coaching staff likes him and that's a, Ivan Jasper said the cupboard is not bare. You know, you mentioned Masai Maynard. Um, I think we saw a little uh, sample of Xavier Arline, which he, he's an athlete. And then you got Ty. He's a little bit different from those two. He's a little bit bigger. Uh, there, there are some decent quarterbacks in the pipeline. And, and I think that's really what made Perry Olson's decision much less damaging than it, than it could have been. Um, particularly, we talked about his decision to leave. But then after that, you know, you're never going to have a shortage of quarterbacks on this roster. You know, from Jaden Umberger to, Umberger to Matthew Peters to John Mager to Masai Maynard to Ty. Like there are tons of quarterbacks and it's really just going to be who absorbs the system, who's going to come in, maybe IJ and, and Kenny get informed by you know, this, this presence of really big athletic receivers to throw to. But I, I really do think that if any, if any program can do next man up, it's this one. And if any program can manage two quarterbacks, it's this one. Ward. So what was the name you mentioned there? Who was that guy? Oh, Perry Olson? Yeah, I forgot all about him. I know, seriously, exactly. right? Like, yeah. <laughs> I, I, yeah. Hey, John, your your vaudeville your vaudeville act needs a little work, John. <laughs> I know. Like, I, 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 I've, I've got to do the who's on first better. I was too busy <laughs> looking forward to the next uh, to the next segment. So I will say, as we as we uh, go toward our our look ahead to Houston, um, that. I was looking at the Buckus Award 2020 Collegiate Watch List, uh, something that um, that our boy Diego Fago is not on. Uh, there are some names on here, you know, like you know, a lot of a lot of Alabama names, a lot of LSU names, a lot of Notre Dame names. 
Uh, but yeah, uh, no Diego Fago, which is ridiculous. Um, I think he should be on the uh, Buckus watch list. Previous Buckus Award winners, guys like Devin White, Roquan, Roquan Smith, Reuben Foster, Jalen Smith of Notre Dame, and then guys like Luke Keekley, Von Miller, Rolando McLean, Paul Pizlesny. Um, the list goes on and on. But suffice it to say that I believe that Diego has done enough to warrant um, at least to be talked about on this list because he is he is a man possessed right now. So break, break. Um, let's, let's talk a little bit about Houston. We'll have our, uh, our big Houston show later in the week with some guests helping us break it down. But from your perspective, Wags, you know, what is the biggest concern other than Dana Holgerson's incredibly awful hair? Dana Holgerson is a piece of work. I got to say, um, good coach, but quite a character, um, the passing game, Clayton Toon, the quarterback is legit. Um, and he's got some receiving targets. This kid, Marquez Stevenson, and Kenny Amatololo on his Monday presser was already shaking his head. He doesn't want to see that guy. Uh, last year, he gave Navy some fits. I mean, he, he can beat anybody deep. He's hard to, to keep in front of you. Uh, and uh, so this passing attack is going to be a challenge to Navy that th beyond anything they've seen so far this season. And uh, that's going to be the key. Got to get pressure on the quarterback. You can't let Clayton Toon sit back there uh, and scan the field for targets because he'll pick you apart. And trying to defend these receiving targets, most notably Marquez Stevenson, who to me looks like a future pro. And, you know, I, I, just an aside, but if you look, you know, the, the American Athletic Conference is a passing conference for the most part. And if you look around the NFL, you will see some outstanding skill positions players. Cortland Sutton is the wide receiver at Denver. He was from SMU. Um, we could go on and on, but there is a boatload of American Athletic Conference skill position players in the NFL right now. And this Marquez Stevenson has the look of another one. Um, they're going to have to figure out a way to slow this passing attack. And it's a combination of getting pressure on the quarterback and being able to successfully defend downfield. Yeah, so Marquez Stevenson uh, against Tulane, a uh, fairly impressive line, uh, five receptions, 118 yards, and a TD. Um, he had that look, and I watched a little bit of this game. He had that look of a sort of Julio Jones type of possession receiver, but who was also a burner. Um, and, and you're right, Clayton Toon has some some good old fashioned, you know, university or West Virginia university numbers where Dana Holgerson uh, came from. Um, so we'll, we'll see how that goes as we've said before. And I think WAGS put out a story about it. Uh, the Naval Academy has already come out with a, with an attendance policy. Um, and it's just mids again, which is great for the brigade. Um, you know, hopefully the weather on Saturday is, is warm and temperate and, and fun for them. Uh, to be there. But I, I say this as I was asking my 16 year old last night, I, I, I was walking in and it was at some state of the Cowboys getting run off of their own field. I just had to say that for uh, Chris Cervello's benefit. But I was like, are those actual fans in the stands? And my 16 year old, my 16 year old looked at me like I was dumb. Like, yeah, they've had fans all year. Like, holy shit. Yeah, I, I honestly didn't know that. So, you know, I, I think that I have now become the victim of just really looking. My own tunnel vision has only evaluated what Navy can do and not do 
Um, there are a lot of places out there where, where fans have been attending games. I haven't heard anything about mass outbreaks after attendance. I know I'm not advocating for, for mass attendance or herd immunity in any way, shape or form, but I do, I do honestly hope for the city of Annapolis, for the economy and for everyone else that we do get this pandemic together, that we do start observing masks and social distancing rules so that, so that at least for army Navy, you can have some human beings in the stands because I, I just believe that this Navy team is fun to watch. Um, so, uh, Ward, from your perspective, um, you know, what do you think needs to, you know, we talked about the slot backs. We talked about the quarterback play. Do you play to, um, hopefully we can get um, Evan Fockman back, but you know, Wag said that that might be a while. It, what are you looking for from this team next week? Well, it's got the defense has got to show up um, because otherwise we'll be uh, savaged across the middle, um, and so that's always been the difference uh, with the Newberry defense. The the aggressive go to the ball defense depends on the speed of our linebacker core. Again. This is where Fogo it make, can make all the difference. So that that's what it's going to take. And when you say Houston, I'm reminded of maybe one of the greatest games besides the Notre Dame game uh, in the history of Navy football, which is the 2015 season. I remember being on the sidelines and talking to our good friend, Admiral Ted Carter, and he was great at prognosticating. And he looked at all the elements that that sort of – uh, allowed him to presage a victory in that particular game. He's like, it's been this many weeks since we played a ranked opponent at home and so forth and so on. And he predicted the win. And as we know, Navy won that game. The, the brigade swarmed the field. It was an incredible victory. So when you enter Navy Marine Corps Stadium, Memorial Stadium, all bets are off at some level. I'm glad the brigade's going to be there. As we talked about in a previous show, that made a big difference. 12th man mattered to my eye last game. So I think beyond that, in terms of the analysis, I would, like you, entreat all of our listeners to read Wags' article because he breaks it down uh, very deftly. And uh, that I, I follow whatever Wag says unconditionally with respect to that. So for me, my, and I was at that game as well, um, my two favorite memories, other than not, not losing an Army-Navy game while I was there um, as the PAO, but two separate occasions walking on an opposing team's field and walking by two particular players. And it was uh, the aforementioned Jalen Smith from Notre Dame when we played at Notre Dame uh, I was walking Admiral Carter over to talk to Catherine Tappan of NBC News or NBC Sports, and we walked right by him. And I I had never seen a human being that athletic. Like he looked like a Greek god, and and it was unbelievable. And unfortunately, that was the year that you know everyone thought he was going to be like the top two pick, and then he blew his knee like horribly in the. Uh, in the bowl game. And then the Cowboys had to wait, had to wait an extra season to get him. And the other one was in Houston when we walked right by Ed Oliver of the Houston Cougars. Th those two human beings are the most unbelievably large human beings I've ever seen, <laughs> but that was a fun, fun game. That Houston game at home, um, super duper fun. And hopefully we can get, we can get a repeat of that um, going forward. So we're not going to do predictions uh, today. We'll do it when we uh, break it down more um, with Mike James of um, 
of the Mid Report, and then we're also going to have a couple of other guests later on in the week. Uh, any parting shots from you, Bill Wagner, before we take this baby out? Well, uh, it's going to be a big game on Saturday. I think this next two-game stretch, as you mentioned earlier, are going to determine whether Navy is a legit contender in the American Athletic Conference. Uh, Houston and SMU are two of the more talented teams Navy will face, and uh, you've got to split them, I think, really. Uh, that would be a nice uh, deal. So, you know, winning at home against Houston. And now I don't know if you guys caught, by the way, did you see the story I wrote? East Carolina had fans, and apparently they yeah. had some Navy fans. They they were kind enough to give 250 tickets to Navy. And so some of the parents who have not been able to see their sons play all season got in down there. But, yes, uh, around the country there have been fans in college football stadiums. Um, so it would be nice if Navy gets it. But, yes, home against Houston, you got to try to win because going on the road against SMU, ranked 15th in the country, 5-0, and that could be a tough one. So, yeah, this is, to me, a very big game. And uh, I, I think Navy can do it. It's just, uh, you know, going to have to control that passing game of Houston. For sure. And and it might not be a 5-0 and uh, SMU team uh, when we actually go to SMU in the following week. You know, you want to talk about the the gauntlet, which is the American Athletic Conference, 9 p.m. Um, on ESPN2 on Saturday, number nine Cincinnati at number 16 SMU or number 15 SMU and uh, other polls. So, you know, really, really entertaining schedule for the American Athletic Conference on uh on Saturday with Navy Houston and then Cincinnati and SMU uh, nightcapping. Um, after that, the next week you've got, you know, again, you've got Navy and uh, Navy and SMU. And then um, the uh, really good Memphis team has to go to Cincinnati. So I'm interested to see what happens. I'm also interested to see um, the next uh, UCF game when the kicker misses a kick and gets in a fight with his own teammate on the sidelines. I thought that was entertaining. Um, Ward, any uh, any final shots from you before we take it out? No, I took my COVID test today um, and uh, I'm ready to go. So I'm looking forward to uh, a, another great fall day with Wags up in the press box. I'll be on the visiting sideline. Good times. Um, Scott Strassmeyer asked, will I be covering the big Army-Navy sprint football game on Sunday? And we should give that a plug. Uh, that's a huge game a collegiate sprint football league game, but who works the sticks for the sprint football? I don't know. I I'm a, I, I'm an adjunct to the AAC. So what conference is sprint football in? Collegiate sprint football league, the CFL, CSFL. Yeah. yeah. And, and that is certainly worth attending. That's going to be a good one. We can ask uh, Jim McNeil, our previous uh, our previous guest, uh, who actually when's kickoff for that? Do you know Wags? What's kickoff? One p.m. One p.m. on Sunday, October twenty. Also in action this Saturday, uh, Navy women's soccer is uh, going down to Blacksburg to uh, play Virginia Tech. Uh, Four p.m. on Saturday, the twenty fourth, and then let's not forget about our sailors. Um, uh, offshore sailing um, has a regatta on Friday and a regatta on uh, Sunday as well. The Storm Trisail East Coast Regatta or the Storm Trisail East Coast Championship. Um, also, um, you know, credit where credit is due this past weekend was also the star meets for men's and women's cross country. Uh, the women, unfortunately, lost 
lost to Army 29 to 27. Um, or I think it's actually properly said, no, when you win, it's a lower number. So, um, so Navy lost 29 to 27 for women's cross country in the Army, but the men were victorious against Army, singing second as they should, uh, with a tally of 23 to 34. Um, I'm obviously too chubby and not athletic enough to run enough to even know what, you know, why those scores are, are inverse that way with all due respect, actually to our cross country runners, awesome work on both ends. Congrats to the men, uh, for singing second and getting a star, uh, without any further ado, uh, I am John Schofield, uh, for Chris Cervello, who is the struggle is real down in Palm coast, Florida. I can tell you that. For Bill Wagner um, and Ward Carroll, I am John Schofield. As we go out, by the time this pod comes out, Bill Wagner, if anyone is like, you know, hanging around downtown Annapolis um, and, and yeah, they see like a motorcycle in the air, or a stock car or a funny car in the air over Ego Alley, what, what could that possibly be? What what might they be looking at and on what date? Without asking you to be like Ellie Tierney and blow the whole thing up, but, but what's what's the situation? So reportedly, our very own Annapolis native, Travis Pastrana, who has become the most famous uh, motor, motor sports, uh, action sports star in the world, uh, is going to jump a rally car. That's what he's going to jump because Travis drives rally cars these days. Um, I think he's with Team Subaru as his sponsor, shameless plug. But Travis is due to jump a rally car over Ego Alley. Uh, it's being filmed for uh, a, a, a movie that is to come out later. Um, he's very concerned about amateur videographers getting the footage because that kind of steals his thunder. Um, I have a feeling they're going to create a wide perimeter to prevent any amateur videographers from getting too close. There's even a chance that they could pull a bit of a feint and maybe do the jump on a different day than has been announced. Who knows? They're building the ramp right now in downtown Annapolis. But yes, action star Travis Pastrana is due to jump a rally car across Ego Alley in downtown Annapolis. I love Wags's use of faint, like he just graduated from the Naval War College and is like sitting in a in a battle cell, you know, doing the Navy planning process. Um, that's cool. If uh, it happens, uh, rest assured that Wags, Ward, and I will be at the Fleet Reserve Club with a beer in our hand to uh, report what we saw and did not film with our iPhones. Um, so thank you very much very much for joining us. By the time this pod comes out, hopefully Travis's jump has taken place and he is safe and no one has iPhoned it. Um, but thank you very much for joining us until later in the week when we bring you the full breakdown. I am John Schofield. This is Sync Second Sports and we are out. The thoughts and opinions expressed on this pod are our own and don't represent the views of the Naval Academy Athletic Association, the United States Naval Academy, or any organization for that matter. Play-by-play calls from the Navy Radio Network are used in the opening of the show and from time to time will be part of podcast segments.